Well, good morning. Uh, as we get ready for Easter, we're about a month out. We, each of the lessons in the series that we're in right now takes us through a conversation that Jesus had with different people from all kinds of backgrounds. These are all straight out of John's gospel. And John was really good about summarizing and pulling out fragments of, or pieces of the conversation that Jesus had with people to help explain why Jesus came and what the whole point of the crucifixion was and the resurrection and why do we need that anyway? And so today, inside your uh, bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm going. It's entitled, Jesus' Conversation with a Pharisee. And it's important uh, that we understand this because conversations can be life-changing. In fact, point one on your outline says this. In his gospel, John recorded a number of conversations Jesus had with people from all these different backgrounds so we can better understand who Jesus is, what he came to do, and believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah. Really believe it. I mean, you think about in your own life, conversations, you've, all of us have, conversation, have had conversations that were life-changing. I mean, sometimes as people, you go meet somebody for coffee and all of a sudden you realize after talking to them, hey, you want to have a whole new change of career. Sometimes uh, you, have, you go out on a date. I remember dating my wife. I was going, man, I'm going to marry her. I think she came around to that later on. Anyway, um, but yeah, but the idea was simply this, that some conversations we can have can be life-changing. These are all life-changing conversations. And when John records them, the scripture is always to be held up like a mirror. Can we see ourselves in this? Listen to what uh, John wrote about this. Jesus did many other things. This is the end of his book. He talked about all the miracles Jesus had done. And if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world couldn't contain all the books that would be written. But these, and this is John 20, 31, the things that he did write, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So that's the goal of, of why we're looking at this conversation today. John wrote it down. He said, if you understand what Jesus is coming to do, you can have life in his name. Rich, abundant life now and life with him forever in heaven by believing in him. Let's ask God to open our eyes to some things we need to understand about Easter, about the crucifixion, the resurrection, why all that needed to happen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word. Uh, John spent a lot of time thinking carefully about what he was going to write. And you inspired him to put these words down. And so, Lord, these are things you want us to hear. You want us to understand some important truths contained in this conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisee. So, Lord, today we pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and teach us some things we need to know. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Point two, one evening a Pharisee named Nicodemus came to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, if you're not exactly sure what a Pharisee is, we'll get to that in a second. But this is how it was set up. There was a man, this is from John 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so uh, Nicodemus was a teacher and a Pharisee, which meant that he was well-versed in the whole Old Testament. The New Testament obviously hadn't been written yet, but he understood the whole Old Testament. I mean, he would have been an expert in it, probably had most of it, if not all of it, memorized. 
And you'll see in the note there that in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the highly revered rabbis and teachers who led synagogue worship. There was a temple in Jerusalem, but in all the little villages throughout the land of Israel, they had little community centers, what we would call a local church, where people would get together and on Sabbath days, they'd have Sabbath school for the kids and they would have worship services. And these worship services would be led usually by people who are experts in understanding the Old Testament. There were about 6,000 Pharisees at the time when uh, this was written, and they were all over the land of Israel, and they were the self-appointed guardians of making sure that people understood the Old Testament law and they obeyed it. I mean, that's what they wanted to do. The problem was, you'll see in here, is that they lived by the strictest possible religious rules and they believed this gave them a special standing with God and elevated them above everyone else. Over and over again in the New Testament and all of the gospel accounts, the Pharisees don't like Jesus very much at all. In fact, most of them hate him. And the reason why is because they had not only memorized the Old Testament and they had not only understood the Ten Commandments, they found a bunch of other commandments, 613 to be exact. And they were experts at obeying all of them, and they developed a whole bunch of traditions about certain ways to wash your hands, certain ways that you had to prepare meals, certain ways that you had to do things. And they thought that then this, because they had done all this, that would earn them a special standing with God and should certainly earn them respect from everybody else. I mean, look at us. We're doing better than you are. And so they had long robes and they had long prayer shawls that they would wear and they would pray in public and they would recite huge chunks of scripture from memory and everybody would go, wow, I could never be like that. And they'd go, that's right, you can't. And Jesus didn't like that at all because he came to make it possible for everyone to have a relationship with our heavenly father. And by putting the bar this high, it just meant that almost nobody could play. And the Pharisees weren't drawing attention to God and giving him worship when they made pronouncements like this and showed off how much they knew. They were doing it for themselves. And Jesus rebuked them. In fact, this is what's in your outline there. You hypocrites, Isaiah, he's talking about the Old, prophet, Isaiah, Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? <laughs> yes. That was supposed to be funny. Okay, anyway, that should trigger a laugh from us. Like, do you realize that was offensive since you called out the people who think they're the guardians of truth and righteousness and you told them that they were hypocrites and their worship was a farce? Yeah. I mean, even if somebody attended, let's put it in the context of our day, even if somebody went to all the right schools and had a Bible school degree and attended church regularly and did all these things, but every time they got up to pray, they would stand up to pray and tell you how great they were. And Lord, I thank you, you made me righteous. And they'd quote long scripture passages and other things. And then afterward, they'd go, wasn't that a wonderful prayer? You go, no. Not about you, it's about him. And so the Pharisees didn't like Jesus a bit. And so it's somewhat surprising that Nicodemus is coming to him. 
that Nicodemus can't argue with the miracles. I mean, Jesus is making blind people see and dead people come back to life. He can't argue with this. And he goes, look, I'm a teacher of the Old Testament law and I know all the 613 commands and I know all the traditions on how to wash our hands and get everything done exactly right. But I've never seen anything like this. I want to talk with you. And that's probably why he came at night um, because being seen with Jesus would have been politically incorrect. In John 12, John comments on this too. Many people did believe in Jesus, however, including, however, including some of the Jewish leaders like Nicodemus. But they wouldn't admit it for fear the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Look, these guys are upset with Jesus and Pharisees, there are many of those 6,000 Pharisees, they're all in various orders and there's chains of command and things. And so Jesus is quickly becoming public enemy number one among them. And so for Nicodemus to go see him, he went to see him at night. He wanted to listen to him because every time Jesus would be out in public, Pharisees would be engaging him with trick questions and yelling at him and trying to trip him up and antagonize him. And so you get the idea that Nicodemus went there to listen. He also went there because he didn't want to get canceled. I mean, can you imagine a story where we're living in a culture where if you believe Jesus was the only way to heaven, you might get socially canceled? Can you imagine living in a culture where there'd be people tell you if you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, they would tell you you need to go to sensitivity training? Can you imagine living in a culture like that? We do. We do. And so did he. Never let anybody tell you the Bible doesn't relate to us today. Oh, that's old stuff. Nobody cares. Who cares about a bunch of Pharisees? They're not like us. They're exactly like us. Exactly. Point three, Jesus shocked Nicodemus by pointing out that the only way to get into heaven is to be born again. So Nicodemus comes to him, doesn't want some heated debate in the middle of the day where everybody's shouting and yelling, trying to trip Jesus up, comes to him at night, says, Jesus, look, you must be a good, great teacher. You, God must have sent you because you're doing all these miracles and I can't explain how you're doing this. So let's talk. I'm a teacher. I'm a theologian. I would like to compare notes with you. And Jesus goes, okay. And so here's the way he started. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he's talking to a guy who not only knows all 613 commandments, not only knows all the traditions of how they're supposed to get it done, but teaches this stuff. He is a PhD in all this. And he comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to get your take on the Old Testament and on theology. Obviously, you come from God. Let's talk. And Jesus goes, all right, let's do. Let me shoot you straight. You're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. It doesn't depend on how well you keep all 613 commandments at all. I mean... So right away, Nicodemus is backpedaling. Uh, 
Well, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? What do you mean born again? I, how do I get born again? What do you mean? I, what are you talking about here? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can produce, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Hmm. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can, I, how can you possibly how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Everything that the Pharisees taught was this. If you obey the law and you follow our traditions, then God will bless you and honor you and you will be righteous and you'll inherit the kingdom of God. For them, the whole idea of who gets in the kingdom was already settled. I mean, we're coming up on the the NCAA tournament starts this next week in college basketball. And at my house, that's known as the most wonderful time of the year. But anyway, uh, everybody wants their team to get in. And so everybody looks at their body of work. How many wins did they have? And who did they defeat? And what was the point spread? And how many, uh, there's all kinds of statistics that go into this. But did you earn your way into the tournament? Well, these Pharisees not only would have thought that they were in the tournament, they were a number one seed. They had the best spot. We're, gonna, we're the best. And Jesus goes, yeah, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You think that by keeping all these rules better than everybody else, you're earning God's favor. And what you don't understand is, is that you need to be completely reborn from the inside out. Now, here are a couple of reasons why. Point A, we need to be born again because apart from Jesus, we're spiritually dead. Once you are dead, this is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Once you are dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul wrote that, who had been a Pharisee. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his eyes were open, and he understood all the things he used to think were important were completely wrong. He was just like all the other Pharisees about keeping rules and doing things rightly. And that's why he persecuted Christians because Christians went around saying, no, it's not about keeping rules. It's about coming to Jesus and letting him change your heart. And this is terribly important for us to understand because Nicodemus thought he could earn his way into heaven. Now, what's really interesting is, is that last week we talked about a Samaritan woman she was born in the, uh, to a Samaritan family, and the Samaritans were not respected by the Jews. They had amalgamated a lot of other beliefs from other faiths around the world together with the teaching of the Old Testament and made this big 
mess of a theological stew that they believed. And the Jews looked at them as half pagan heretics and had nothing to do with them. And last week, Jesus met with a woman who was an outcast among them. And we talked about, you can go back online and get this lesson if you missed it, but that she was not only an, uh, a Samaritan, but she was an outcast among the Samaritans. She was an outcast among the outcasts. Well, Nicodemus is a teacher among the teachers. He's on the other end, but the answer is the same. Everyone has to come to Jesus because no matter who we are, we need to be born again. Now, it's great news for the woman here because she had no chance of believing she could earn her righteousness. But this is a hard pill for Nicodemus to swallow because he'd been doing really good. He was a one seed. He was a lock. No. I mean, the Bible tells us that we are body, soul, and spirit. Our soul is who we are. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's, it's what we think and what we feel, and our, our will is our chooser, you know, which way are we going to go? Our body is what we wear. It's what allows us to interact with each other and to interact with our world. But our spirit is what allows us to interact with our Heavenly Father, because God is spirit. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that's the part of them that was broken immediately and died. Their spiritual connection. That's why they were cast out of the garden. Their bodies died later too. But when we're spiritually dead, we can't apprehend the things God wants us to think. We can't understand his will. We can't understand his ways. We don't trust him. And that's what Paul is saying is we all were like this. We come into the world as descendants of Adam and Eve, spiritually dead. But when we ask Christ to come into our lives, the Holy Spirit fills our lives and we're born again. We have a new spirit. We're now sensitive to God's mind and we can think his thoughts. We can talk to him and we have faith and we can believe and trust that he really hears us. We can feel him move in our hearts. We feel his conviction when we're wrong. We change. We have the power to change from the inside out because now all of a sudden the connection to our power source, God himself, has been reestablished. If any of this is good news while I'm going, you can say amen. amen. This is what happens when we're spiritually born again. And what Jesus says is, if you think you can reestablish a spiritual connection with your heavenly father just by keeping rules and honoring traditions that glorify you instead of him, you're completely on the wrong track. You're very sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. When Paul was writing to the Colossians. And now we can think differently. I mean, this is why when you become a Christian... It's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh. I've been thinking about everything wrongly. No wonder I got this all wrong. And for the first time in our lives, all of a sudden we can understand the world from the way God sees it. Not like Paul said, the way the devil sees it. In fact, after you've been a Christian for a while, you wonder, how did I ever used to think the way I thought? 
Can anybody else relate to this besides me? Man. It's why we sit there and marvel at our culture sometimes. How wicked is, are things going to get? Well, <laughs> you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the one at work in the hearts of unbelievers, leading them down the wrong path as fast as he can get them to go. We shouldn't be surprised at it. That's what Jesus came to change. He came to make it possible for everyone to be born again. Point B, we need to also be born again because we don't need just a few adjustments to our behavior. We need to be made new from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. I mean, born again could also be translated born from above. I don't just need a little tweak to my behavior. I need a whole new heart. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And that's what happens when you and I come to Christ. He gives us a heart transplant. Keeping rules only pointed out every time they broke a rule, ah, I broke it again, I can't seem to change. But man, when you come to Christ, he changes you. Now you want to do the things he wants you to do. And now you actually have the power to do them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. We are spiritually reborn. We have a connection to God again. We can understand him. We can experience his love. We can know his direction in our lives. He convicts us when we're wrong and he encourages us when we're right. He gives us the power to do what pleases him. And he changes the way we think about everything. So if you're a teacher of Israel and you don't even know this, that that's what the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel was talking about, where you been? I mean, this is the type of stuff they were talking about. Point C, being born again is only possible through faith in Jesus, not human effort or religious practice. I mean, if I want to be born again, this is a gift of God. I have to come to God and say, God, I'm hopelessly lost. Jesus said this, no one has ever, this is still in that conversation with Nicodemus, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the son of man, speaking of himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And he referred to an Old Testament story that, oh man, you know, Nicodemus would have known, yeah, Numbers 21 verses five through nine. I know it very well. Could have quoted off the top of his head. Remember the story about the bronze snake? That's the way Jesus would have done this. If you're not familiar with it, here's what it is. <clears throat> the children of Israel had been wandering in the desert for 40 years because God had tried to take them into the promised land. He'd led them to the border of the promised land and they wouldn't go in. They were afraid and said, no, there's giants in the land. The, the giants will kill all of our children and kill us. And the Lord said, well, since you won't trust me, then I'm going to let your children go in. The very children you thought would die, they're the ones who are going to go in. But you will be the ones who die in the wilderness over the next 40 years. I'll have mercy on you. And you're going to wander around in the wilderness till an entire generation dies off because you won't obey me. 
Well, 40 years later, they got to the edge of the promised land and they were just about to go in, but uh, the nation of Edom wouldn't let them pass their land. So they had to go around Edom to get in. And that was going to take months longer. And while that happened, people started to complain. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. It was the miraculous food that God fed them with every morning. Perfectly balanced nutrition that gave them strength and kept them all healthy. And they hated it. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. And many were bitten and died. And then the people came to Moses and cried out, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away these snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord, that the Lord would take, uh, that the Lord would take it away. And so, and the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze, attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now it's important to understand here that the only reason anyone was healed by the bronze snake was faith. He didn't say, go out there and develop some bronze clubs and go kill snakes. Didn't tell him, hey, here's a recipe for an anti-venom and give everybody a shot. He didn't tell him, hey, build a tall pole with a snake, make it 40 feet tall, and anybody who can crawl to the top of the pole will be saved. It was only this, put this serpent on a pole, and people just have to get near it to look at it, and they'll be saved. Well, the only reason that would work at all is because God was healing them by faith. You had to have faith that it would actually happen. And that's what faith is. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the insurance about what we see, what we don't see yet. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And Jesus is saying this. He said, look, you're spending all your time teaching people to obey command after command after command, and yet you never dealt with the sin that's in their heart. You're teaching them how to wash their hands. You're teaching them how to say prayers in public. You're teaching them how to do all sorts of uh, religious actions. But you haven't ever addressed the sin that's in their heart in the first place that makes them want to lie, that makes them want to steal, that makes them want even people to pay attention to them instead of their heavenly father. Nicodemus, you got to come to me by faith. And that brings us to the last point here that I must decide whether or not I believe Jesus is the son of God and I want to be born again. Because the apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. I mean, that was the biggest problem with the whole idea of just trying to keep commands and earning your way into heaven. Everybody was always jockeying for position over who did it best. Last week, the message to the Samaritan woman was, you can never be too far gone that Jesus won't help you. The message this week is, you can never earn your way into heaven by your own righteous. Jesus has to save you. Everyone has to come to Jesus. 
For this is how God, this is how much God loves to be, uh, loves the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And this, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what's right come to the light so others can see that they're doing what God wants. I mean, that's the other problem with trying to maintain religious behavior. If I'm maintaining religious behavior and trying to show you that I'm righteous by what I do, I can have secret ambitions in my life. I can have secret sins in my life. I can have all sorts of hurt, hurts in my life I've never dealt with. I can have all kinds of bottled up junk that I've just paved over. But I go around pretending I'm fine because I want everybody to see on the outside I'm righteous. And Jesus said, that's the whole problem. You don't need to wash the outside of the cup only. You need to wash the inside of the cup and then the whole thing's going to be clean. Come to me. I'll give you a new heart. Come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. Come to me. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you a heart transplant. I'll take out the stubborn, stony heart and give you a heart of flesh that loves God and wants to do his will. I'll reestablish the connection between you and the heavenly father. You can come to him anytime you want. You can confess your sins. You can give him your greatest joys. You can ask for direction. You can ask for blessing. You can ask him to help you in any way you need and he'll hear you anytime. But you can't do this on your own and you can't pretend everything's okay. And so... When you come to church, this should be the place where we all come to church and say, we are all sinners who've been saved by grace. I mean, that's what John 3.16 says, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. And he did. All the sins of the whole world have been atoned for. All we need to do now is come and say, God, I need that. And you go, well, why wouldn't everybody want to do that? Well, Jesus said, the reason why they don't believe because they prefer the life they have. Jesus was saying these things out loud in front of the Pharisees every day who were trying to trip him up. And they said, we don't want that. We want the 613 commandments. We want all the traditions. We want to keep these things because we're the best at it. We're one seeds. We're a lock. And that's the game we're playing. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about. If you want a relationship with God, you come to him and say, Lord, I can never measure up. I have nothing to offer you in my own strength. I don't deserve anything from you, but I come to you because you love me. John 1, 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Humans can re reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit reproduces spiritual life. You got to come to me. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. Yours, mine, everybody's. And he's the only one who could because he's the only human being who's ever lived a sinless life and could actually stand in our place. What he says is, he says, I want you to come to me. 
but you have to believe in me. Now, believe isn't just giving mental assent or saying a few words. Believe is saying, no, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need you and I trust you. I surrender everything to you. I surrender my plans for today, my hope for tomorrow and eternal life. I surrender my sins of the past. I surrender everything to you and I want you to work in my life and change me. That's what it means. And everyone who did that can become a child of the Lord. Everyone who comes. So the Samaritan woman, she's not too far gone. Nicodemus isn't too far gone, but he can't go around trying to earn his own way in. Now, why do I tell you all this? This is a verse that's not in your outline, but in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day, and God is being patient about Jesus coming back because he's giving more time for people to repent. This is why we have all these events at Easter. People are more likely to come at Easter than any other time of the year to come to church. And that's why we have services all over the place. Why do you do so many services? Because we've got a lot of people who come. Why do you want so many people to come? So we can tell them about Jesus. So we can tell them that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend everything's okay when you're cavitating on the inside. You've got a secret addiction and a secret hurt and a secret whatever it is. Just come to Jesus. He'll change you. Come to Jesus. He'll give you new life. Reconnect you. The way God wanted Adam and Eve to be in the way it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. We can have that kind of relationship with him before the fall. He wants to bring us to himself. Mm, this is such good news. I know that each of us has to respond when God calls us. We started out the service here in Prattville. Uh, for those of you watching Wetumpka and other things, the testimony of somebody's life was changed on a mission trip. Um, you know, 13 and a half years ago, about 13 and a half years ago, I was praying about whether I was supposed to um, become the pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I was working at Fraser Methodist in Montgomery at the time. This church was just starting out. It was a really big decision for me and a really hard one. And the day when some people came to see me and talked to me about doing this, the reading in my Bible was out of Genesis and the commentary in that section from my study Bible said this, God may be trying to lead you to a place of greater service and usefulness for him. Don't let the comfort and security of your present position make you miss God's plan for you. That seemed to be relevant. <laughs> Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of all the people. You've been keeping all these commandments. You've been trying to impress God. Let me tell you what it really takes. It means surrendering your whole heart to him. Don't let the comfort of your current position keep you away from that. What's interesting is, is when Jesus died, one of those secret followers, Joseph of Arimathea, came and gave a tomb for the body of Jesus to be buried in. And guess who came along with Joseph of Arimathea to bury uh, Jesus' body? Nicodemus. bought 75 pounds worth of costly spices and identified as a follower of Jesus. Man, I love that. 
Will you pray with me? Lord, I just pray that we will not let the comfort of our traditions and the comfort of our understanding of the way things have done, been done in the past keep us from following you completely. I pray that we will surrender every part of our hearts and souls to you, that we'll follow you heart, soul, mind, and strength. We won't have secret lives that we can't let anybody in because we're keeping up appearances of religiosity. You hate that. But Father, I just pray that we'll come to you honestly and openly, sinners everyone, and say, Lord, do I need you? Oh, I need you. And then we'll tell the whole world this good news because you paid the penalty for all. We can all come. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.